Hello, I'm Anna Serene and you're listening to Berlinale's House of Talents. What if we were building this delicate machine uh, that could make us work on our imagination regarding building our own memories? At Berlinale Talents, we like to take the time to understand the how and why of filmmaking. This episode is a case in point. Céline Siama is a force of nature and one of French cinema's most prominent voices. She's the writer and director of, among others, Water Lilies and Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which won her wide international acclaim and a Best Screenplay Award in Cannes. In 2021, Céline brought her fifth feature, Petite Maman, to the Berlinale competition. And we seize the opportunity to sit her down and ask her about the way she makes her films. Celine's films nearly always portray characters caught up in new desires, bridging childhood and adulthood as they make their way through the world. Drawing on Anglo-Saxon and French filmmaking traditions, Celine has created her own emotional language and elegant narratives. Her success testifies to the skill with which she makes her own imagination part of ours. During our conversation, I had the chance to ask Celine about her artistic coming of age, before we turn to what I suggested to her are her delicate machines. That is to say, her films. Celine, your films are very particular in their construction. They're sort of, as far as I see them, delicate machines, where narratives move on these female protagonists that are always present in your filmmaking, whether they be girls or women or even older women, they span the generations and always introduce us into their worlds through, you know, looking, the gaze, desire. But to start with the beginning of your filmmaking career and perhaps the first three features, they're all in a, so um, just to cite them, uh, Naissance des Pieuvres, Water Lilies, Tomboy and Bande de Filles, um, which are all in a very specific cinematic genre, the coming of age movie. Why do you think you felt so attracted to that genre in particular? Well, I've been answering that question a lot and uh, I'm always trying to answer it differently. Um, mostly also because, you know, it's a path from film to film. And of course, even though these three first films are, were built, I mean, they were built in the end as a trilogy, but I had an, each film in mind while it, while I was doing each film. Um, but uh, I decided to name it a trilogy because I wanted to depart from it in a way. Um, so it's looking back, but trying to answer profoundly from today. Well, I've always considered that it was a genre, it's a true genre, but I don't know if it's really all told really well as a genre, especially from the French perspective and more with US perspective or um, where teenagers in French movies and, and, and US movie and teen movies mm. are, are, not, are not at all portrayed the same way. It's not the same rules. It's not the same culture. And back when I was doing Water Lilies and, and on those three first films, I must say, I was always trying to merge two kinds of tradition. Um, the French one, which is considering 
um, that looking at adults or, or, or kids isn't about only addressing yourself to kids or, or, or teenagers, uh, but it's um, a cinematic genre. It's, it's putting big characters on screen. Um, and, um, and the teen movie, much more regarding the US tradition, which is much more of a bubble. Uh, there are no grown-ups, whereas, you know, in France, since uh, Les 400 Coups by François Truffaut, it's also about a kid, like, struggling uh, with the world of adults uh, and trying to escape that world or fit in. Or um, So I always thought, oh, I'm kind of doing this fusion. And I used to, to tell it that way, so yeah, I, could, I could easily answer like that, like a robot. I'll take that answer. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that answer. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to begin because I think that is what makes your position in French cinema so interesting, is that you have this Anglo-Saxon, tradition that's really present and in terms of, and it's you know aesthetically present but it's also present in terms of the gender politics and we'll get to that but i think as a starting point to say that there's a tension between these two traditions is not wrong and what i think would be fascinating to find out is how you know and so we have this genre of coming of age but i'd be curious to hear about your artistic coming of age so you know what type of films do you remember as a child thinking Oh God, that moved me beyond anything else I've seen. Or mm. what books? Because obviously you're, you started your career as a screenwriter and screenwriting is at the center of your filmmaking as well. What books just moved you beyond, you know, to tears in your, in your, little, in your little bedroom, like your characters? Well, it all started with comic books, I must say. Um, and the strong, I mean, the 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 the, Bel the Belgium and French tradition of of uh, bande dessinée so it's uh, either Tintin or uh, Asterix or um, I mean all, yeah those this tradition of the comic book which is called ligne claire clear line which is a, a term that I really like to uh, to use uh, talking to my collaborators uh, you know always trying to find the clear line and it's uh, yeah ligne claire is really linked to this uh, Belgium and French tradition of comic books, it's pretty, it's really linked to, to Hergé. Um, and, um, and, you know, sometimes when I have trouble um, finding an, an, uh, an idea to, for editing, like for instance, in the first scene of Portrait, when the, the, she's in the boat and then uh, the canvas are in, uh, fell into the, um, in the ocean, I was like, oh, how, how, this is such an action scene. How am I going to do this? you know, in the language of the film, plus it's the first scene, so it shouldn't be like, because there's a stunt woman and everything, so then you're less free. How do we portray this? And, you know, and I'm always thinking, okay, what would, you know, Tintin, how would it be, you know? <laughs> how how something falls in the water? How do you edit that? So um, that was my first culture. I learned to read uh, reading comic books and it's also we can say a fusion between you know literature and image and and already some kind of storyboarding, storyboarding yeah. yeah and addressing a perspective that is already both addressing adults and kids um which is also a kind of fusion that emerged that i'm always trying to do uh whereas it's official or secret uh this time it's official um and then i was also uh curated a lot as a kid um, uh, by my father, who was a sci-fi uh, geek. Um, 
So you so grew I up watching Star Trek and Star Wars and other such yes, cultural regarding products? The film, regarding the film, but I think that was a cultural bath that oh, we were all in. Um, but regarding literature, reading sci-fi when you're an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, starting your uh, career as a reader in novels with Bray Bradbury, or um, uh, it's, uh, it's a strong baptism, <laughs> yeah. uh, science fiction. And then as a teenager, my only revolt, uh, my only rebellion <laughs> against that duration was to actually embrace the French classic of literature, um, Flaubert, Uh, Balzac, Zola, and be more study uh, this literature um, with passion. Study, and what do you mean by study? Because obviously the three authors that you've cited are 19th century authors that are working in a particular Mm -hmm. style, naturalism, a lot of irony, obviously Flaubert, a lot of attention Mm -hmm. to detail. So is is that really what... Is happening in your mind you're looking at the world differently after reading these authors you're looking perhaps with a double edge maybe even on people around you in your family on society i mean any reader of flaubert is immediately a critic of society so i'm wondering from an early age is that already in conjunction with tantin something that's happening well i think you know i don't know if as a kid or as a teenager i felt like literature was helping me to look at the world differently I just think it helped me to figure out the world, really. Um, it was an education. It's also a cultural education that uh, also was to be discon- deconstructed. So that's why I'm very happy that I was uh, given the opportunity to be an early reader, especially of the novel of the 19th century that I think are still feeding my work. Really, I think we're uh, uh, nourishing for some parts of Portrait of Lydia on Fire. And that you, we can say that page 28 is, is a cinematic idea, but it's also very much an idea of a novel of the 19th century. Um, and we could say that Petite Maman has a lot of links with Henry James, for instance, also, which was, um, uh, uh, which is a, a, a recent read uh, in my life. Which, which was, one in particular, can I ask? Well, all of them, but uh, <laughs> the, um, I mean, I really like the, I don't know what's the title in, in English, but it's the motif dans la tapisserie, which is... Um, the fi- really the figure in the carpet. Figure in the carpet, and and uh, and it was uh, yeah a curation given to me by my Italian very dearest Italian distributor Gary Rezzini, is a legend, and uh, he told me oh I was talking about to him about writing Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, and he was telling me you should read Henry James and I did and I think it gave me <laughs> um, it gave me yeah a lot to think. Um, But so, so, on, so on the one so, hand, yeah, it wasn't about yeah, it wasn't about reading literature and then seeing the world differently. It was actually reading literature and understanding <laughs> the world as it went, actually, yeah. uh, and seeing uh, yeah, understanding the, the, the world better. Uh, also, because from my perspective, being uh, uh, a gay kid <laughs> and uh, knowing very early that I had a, other feelings, other perspective. Um, other points of view uh, around everything in life. (laughs) Uh, um, I I was lacking literature that would help me uh, fit in the world. I was, but I was really feeding on literature that would give me the keys of the world, even though I'm not fitting it, fitting it, fitting in. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, literature does help us interpret the world and figure it out but perhaps more predominantly 
it helps us figure ourselves out. And obviously, as a young gay kid, you're trying to understand perhaps what's gone wrong or why you're different or, you know, why you don't quite fit in. And I wonder, you know, in, in, in these readings, did you, were there particular characters? Because everything that you've cited, these are all male authors, but were there particular characters that emerge from this tapestry of literature that, you know, you thought, oh, there's something here that I've put my finger on, as a queer reader always does, you know, you're always double guessing, double reading. Mm -hmm. And here, there's this sort of bubble, and I can feel it, and I'm interested in that, because that's also what your films explore, that ambiguity. Yes, of course. I mean, uh, queer readers are uh, great readers, because uh, sometimes it's just because they share a secret with uh, an author or a book that is inside. Sometimes it's just because they're great at reinventing fiction and how it feels. Because it's not about what's hidden in a fiction, it's about how you feel about it. So it's not about, is that character lesbian or is that uh, a romance, uh, that friendship is, uh, is a love story. It's not about finding out. It's not about the clues. I mean, the clues are great. It's great to read a book and find out the clues. But it's most also mostly about how you appropriate things. Uh, are you... Are you it's two different pleasures. It's the pleasure of, yeah, finding out the secrets and sharing the secrets. And it's also about, like, how oh, this makes me feel, I don't know. <laughs> mm, this, is, this is mine somehow. And because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with it. And, and I just wanted to tell you that I never really identify with character. And I'm not a character-driven person. I, and I know that it's always kind of disappointing when I do Q&As because everyone is always asking me about how are the characters? I'm like, they don't exist. So mostly the secret that I found in book is literature. And, and the, the fire that I found in book is literature. It's not about that character or that plot. And the fire that I found in cinema is cinema, is the fact that cinema exists. And the things that are, the books that I love the most, it's the books, it's the books that are celebrating literature. And the films that I like the most are the films that are celebrating cinema. Mm. And that can be either Wall-In or Jean Dillman. Mm. Uh, but they are celebrating cinema. I, and that's always what I'm looking for as an audience and what I'm looking for as an artist. Mm. Um, is that when you get out of the room, like when you close a book, you're not in love with that book or that character, or you don't connect or identify. I think that's, that's very poor. <laughs> um, you just love literature but, or you just love cinema. And that's, but, what, that, that's what I was looking for as a reader and as a viewer. I was looking for that feeling of falling in love with art, really, yeah. m more, than, uh, more than characters or authors or, you know. Um, but the and books I've that... Been a fan. I've been a fan because that's, that's if you ask about how... I was as a kid, I was a fan, yeah. really. I mean, but you were a fan of, I mean, in what you say, what I understand is that it's not so much about the emotional implication with character, but the films or books that produce what you describe mm -hmm. are doing that because they're pushing the boundaries of style within a given medium. And I think and that's... Yes, and I mean, I think it's always an opportunity when you don't fit in as a queer reader or as a queer uh, viewer. I can't really connect with the, with the characters. They're not designed for me to connect with them. So we have to connect with something higher. Either our own imagination facing the opera 
or um, just the fact that just to fall in love with somebody's brain also, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah. And um, so we've, we've covered, we've covered, you know, I'm looking at your bookshelf. I'm looking at this young Celine Siama's bedroom, right? So on the bookshelf, I see Tintin, I see Henry James, I see Flaubert. And then on the, on the TV playing in this, you know, 1970s, 1980s living room, what are you seeing? Denver, the last dinosaur. Nobody knows that. I'm a, I'm a Tell us about Denver. <laughs> I'm seeing, uh, well, I'm a kid of TV. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a kid of uh, VCR. So I'm a kid who records late TV to see films. So at first, it's just basically what is on. And what is on is, uh, and also I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an elder sister. I have uh, uh, two siblings. Uh, so it's watching TV together and also um, I mean I've uh, I had a very long childhood because I had brothers and sisters and so I kept watching uh, you know what, what we were offered as kids and uh, you know in France in the 80s it was um, the rise of uh, anime uh, in French TV so uh, all those uh, Japanese anime Uh, even if some of them were designed by French people, actually, well, it was a very strong uh, rise, and we would watch that. And uh, I think it created a whole real generation of otakus. Uh, and uh, um, so we were we replugged on that culture, uh, TV culture, um, and um, and also I began to record TV, yeah, late at night, so much more cine club side. Uh, to see some oldie movie. And I was also going as a geek to the cine club in my high school. So that's when I got to meet, um, when I started doing my own curation. Um, so you, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know this at all. So you, st you started um, curating a film club, is that right? I was too shy to curate anything. I just <laughs> went to the club and sat and shut my mouth and watch like uh, Citizen Kane and, you know, uh, The Third Man and, you know, all this, all this thing just, just yeah, this very classic cinephile culture. And also I was lucky to have a cinephile and still have a cinephile grandmother um, who handed me all the American comedy and also a lot of musicals. So it's all about... Or Billy Wilder, Ginger Rogers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And... and And all the James Stewart movies and Karen Red movie because she was she was she was an she actor lover. She is an actor lover, and um, and also all the musicals. So I've had very very strong culture around musicals. Fred Astaire mostly, Fred Astaire team. Can you top dance? I I can because I do. I mean I, I <laughs> everybody can. I, I really can do it very badly. Yeah, but I, I <laughs> um, I've tried a lot, obviously. I've tried a lot for a very long time. You'll show you'll show us another time if you not if not tonight. <laughs> we'll so see. so fantastic. So we have this. There are lots of images, obviously, in what you're saying, and and I I can I'm very curious about your experience in the cine club. In that you said just now you were quiet and you were you were listening, and I think that doesn't surprise me at all because your characters are always engaged in quiet looking observation 
utter move before they ever, you know, put their feet and in, in, you know, their toes into the water. I'm thinking about water lilies here and the main character. They're always in. They're always animated by the need to assess a situation before they plunge into it, and I think that's rather fascinating. But that doesn't mean they're not thinking, right? So I just wonder what you were t- thinking in that film club in terms of the films that you were seeing, and in terms of perhaps at that early age, the gender politics of these films. Well, I was. Uh, I found it all very authoritative and fascinating because it was authoritative in a way. You know, that's what you're looking for when you're going to the canon. Yeah. yeah, you're going. You, you know. It was mostly about, you know, for me, it was mostly about being serious about cinema. Yeah. Take it very seriously. Yeah. So I would go to the cine club and also I would spend a lot, all my weekends at the. So this is a faux ami. So it's library. Yeah. Library is bibliotheque, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would go to the library and. When I would I would go like okay I'm going to study a contemporary Chinese cinema and the history of Chinese cinema as a 14 year old you know and just go there and just read and study and trying to understand okay the big six okay change career okay the politics of cinema also you know being I mean I'm, when I'm passionate about something I, I I take it very very seriously and I think that's what my character do yes of course. There, there, there might be overthinking, but it's was thinking they, they're taking things very, very seriously, and that's maybe what's beautiful about the coming of age genre. Yeah, it's the deepness of the perspective, the depth of the perspective, yeah. and it's and, and it's the same with kids' perspective. I'm being asked a lot these days, like, oh, what's the kids' perspective? No, it's not the hate of the camera. Yeah, it's not about looking the world from that perspective, which is like a meter and twenty centimeter. I don't know how to say it in inches. You'll do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. It's mostly about the fact that their perspective is the fact that they are always in collective, they are always dependent, and they are always connected to what's happening. <laughs> you know, they're looking at their parents, wanting to know them very badly because they've had a whole, whole life before them. And they're, so their perspective is being very active, very caring, and taking things very seriously. That's a child's perspective. So it's not about it being cute or having this charm or having this poetic look on the world. It's about taking things very seriously. And I think that's why I was, I've always, you know, trying to work around those characters. It's not because of their age or with their candor or their, it's about because, it's because of their, pe- their death. Of the, 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 I hope I'm saying this right. <laughs> you are. <laughs> of the depth of their of their perspective. Ah, maybe the maybe that's Keith Gates. Maybe that's Keith Gates. It's that you know, you take things very very at heart, and um, that's why I'm very you know that's why of course this is a, a trilogy, and then, uh, now I'm going going back to kids' perspective, but it's just like trying to have always the deepest perspective. So maybe on family, you should look at a kid because they will give you the deepest perspective on that, you know. Absolutely. So, I mean, so we have this this notion of perspective, which is obviously central to your plots, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but just to finish on this arc of, you know, your artistic coming of age, in terms of seriousness and craft, mm-hmm. in French, I've invariably heard you say, Le cinéma est un métier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, filmmaking is a is a is a profession. Mm-hmm. And what made you 
want to make it your profession? Was it you know clear from the get go um, that you were you were working towards that, or was was there doubt in between? Was there even a false start into something else? I think um, I'm saying it's a profession because I think it should be taken very seriously, but also because if I I had to make a living. I mean, I had, I had to make a living out of it, doing it. I, I see it as a profession, also because I couldn't picture myself doing it if not as a job. And I don't know what's within that sentence once I said it. Yeah. But I said it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to interpret it on yeah. the spot now. Oh, let's not let's take a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that... That notion of, of saying, okay, I'm going to work in film and I'm going, to, I'm going to make it in film somehow. I'll make my way. That leads you to screenwriting. Yeah. That leads you to um, that literary aspect of film, which was also, you know, as a screenwriter, you're creating an object. Your, your final object is destined to be thrown in the dustbin, right? It's that text that's supposed mm -hmm. to disappear. And mm -hmm. it's painful to see that happen and to see other people's, you know, hands on that, on those ideas. Is that perhaps what led you to direct? Or, you know, how did you jump from screenwriting to directing? Did it happen out of desire to, di a desire to direct or as a matter-of-fact choice of saying, no, I have to see this idea, you know, professionally to the end and therefore I have to direct? Mm. Well, you know, it's hard to say because I feel I'm, I mean, I've, from a school perspective, I entered the National Film School um, as a screenwriter. And it's a very strict school when you enter as something, even though you're going to go through discovering the whole process of cinema, you should say where you entered. And, you know, I'm very... I, I stay, I can stay in my, I could at the time. Um, so, but I directed my first film a year after I got out of film school. So I, my job was a director. I became a director right away. Uh, and, and so to me, screenwriting has never been, uh, I, I don't connect. And I know it's true. I'm not saying I, I was privileged enough to, uh, never feel frustrated of uh, of uh, working for a, for a script that was going to be directed for somebody else, and that's not because I'm a director. So I, you know, I have my moment where I can do my stuff. It's because, as you said, screenwriting is about writing something that will disappear. So it's not about that what you're going to write. It's about meeting people, and uh, that's about meeting people. And I was lucky enough to work with people that I loved working with. And there was an inherent joy for you in the writing process, right? Because any screenwriter knows that writing is rewriting and you're living with a text that you know, has multiple lives. Mm -hmm. And that for you retains its joy. That retains, I mean, it is always for you the center of the filmmaking experience, the beginning and its, its core, or has that shifted? I mean, I think now I, I know about joy every step of the way. Uh, so um, I wouldn't have said that if you asked me a few years ago. Mm. Um, 
it's quite so frankly but, but I, I I mean I've never I've always been writing it's the French tradition where we work with for somebody with somebody so it's not about and but it could take different shape because I like to work to work alone a lot so uh, I, I I tend to work alone and then come back with something and then we talk about it and that's 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 how I've been working but it means hours and hours at the table trying to understand somebody. And, you know, for me, being a screenwriter, being a director and a screenwriter, I think, and I think when I'm hired by another director, he knows that I'm a director. So it's part of the deal. And, and that deal is that I'm going to look at my, my partner in writing because, you know, it's, it's not, we're writing together. Um, as a director, I'm going to look at him or her with ambition for him or her as a director. So it's not about, I have the craft of screenwriting and then you're going to direct this. It's, it's about really asking the questions about Maisonsen and the ambition of the film and trying to, you know, to, 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 to build a script that will, that will, um, and you have a fantasy about the, 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 it's the director's fantasy about the film and you have a fantasy about what you want for that director. For, for instance, for André Tichiné, I work with around in a film called Being 17. I he was very accurate about several desires that he had. Um, and I just I tried to fulfill all his desires for uh, and, um, he wanted that there would be battles, physical battle scenes, but also a very quiet nature, that would be his childhood nature, you know, you're in charge of all that. And it's beautiful to be in charge of all that, I must say. Um and then, so you, you have that, you're, you're being handed that, and you have to, and it's really playful to try to bring this all desire to, all together. And it's really also really peaceful because it's not about your desires. Um, and also, you have your own project for the director. And for instance, I had my own project for Henri de Chine, and that was like, I want to look at him as a very young man. I want him to make a very young man film. And I'm not going to tell him, you know, because secrets, secrets, but um, that's my secret with the film. And my secret with the film is, um, is, uh, is that I care. <laughs> I, have, I have a fantasy for him. That is maybe it's not his fantasy. Um, so that's why I don't do screenwriting anymore. Hey, because it takes so much time and so much <laughs> Empathy and no, yeah. but that's why it's always I, have, I haven't been doing that it that much, I must say, yeah. because this time it's just so deep. You know, one of my projects is with that is, has been going on for years because there's also that that's the film that I released with like directors that you know, but there's also all the work you do with people. The, the other end of the iceberg, yeah, exactly. And I've been working for instance for 10 years with uh, Jean Baptiste de Laubier, Parawan, who is the, the, the man behind. Uh, the, the music in my films uh, around the film, and you know he's been he's been actually doing it. The film is uh, it's a ten year work, and um, and it's uh, and it's yeah. So it's there's a lot of you, you, you. There's also things you work around, and, and you have yeah desire for people, and then it, you know it happens, sometimes it takes years. Um, so I might be a, a screenwriter. <laughs> I mean. Uh, uh, in the future, but uh, I haven't been writing for other people now for really, I don't know, four years. Yeah. But at the time where you were still at 
film school, is this the point where you realize that the types of narratives that you want to tell are not in terms of gender what is being told? Because that isn't easy in the French landscape at all to deal with. Um, no. And I wonder at what point you realize that it's going to be a hard slog. Um, was it in conversation with other students? Was it when you did the film that you realized this? When did that happen, that consciousness? I think it keeps happening. <laughs> I think I'm more, much more aware of that now than at the time. Also because, um, you know, cinema is this very weird art where... Um, that is based on reproduction. It's the only art where an artist can be really proud of saying, this is like in this. Mm. And you seen, uh, you know, uh, you know, a novelist going like, this scene is inspired from the scene from that book, from that guy five years ago. So cinema is a culture that is with cannibalism and reproduction. So if you love cinema, you love that. That's where we are in trouble, right? So at first, you're very submissive with that because you love cinema. Cinema is about reproduction. Cinema is a place where you're proud. Especially as a fan. Sometimes you're proud of parodies. Yeah. Mm. And, that's, and that's the beauty of it. Because even though it's the same lens, it's the same shot, it's the same, exactly the same, it doesn't work the same. Mm. So, and it takes a lot of time to uh, stop fetishizing things that you give you that kick, because that kick had a lot of impact in your life. Mm. Because that kick, show you love before you loved, show you sex before you had sex, show you doing coffee in a coffee in Paris before you had a coffee in Paris. So that. All those things gave you desire for life. <laughs> and maybe that's not your life. Maybe they didn't give you desire for your own life. Mm. You know? So, so is, I, I think from film to film, I'm really departing from uh, repetition and yeah. fetishizing and maybe creating my own fetishes. Yeah. And, uh, that's for sure. And, uh, and, uh, and in the clips that we'll show in a second, I, I, you know, there's signature elements of Céline Sema, which is you know, the best possible thing that could happen to a filmmaker. So we'll get to that in a second. But just in terms of reproduction and this need to not reproduce or to question reproduction, I think for me, now that, you know, we have a filmography to look back at together, we have these five films, what is invariably there as a constant, as far as I'm concerned, is that political commitment in terms of the gaze, women's gaze, becomes an aesthetic st style, right? So we arrive at this sort of, I'm being very academic here and, and you, you'll have to forgive me, but you arrive at this sort of aesthetics of equality. And I think that is, to me, what makes a Celine Siama film stand out and bold, is that you are not so much interested in plots where characters are in vertical relations on top of each other, in conflict, pushing down. What you're actually interested in is this, right? This plane of existence. And so when we enter your movies, like your characters, at a remove, it's sort of to understand where the vertical abyss is. And by the end of it, we make that, you know, you, you walk that line and you arrive at 
equality and horizontality. And to justify this thesis, <laughs> um, I think it'd be wonderful if you could talk a bit more about your first film, which to me is a very important film as a, as a filmmaker. I, I'm deeply moved by Water Lilies, which wouldn't translate very well um, into English if we, if we did translate the French title, which is Naissance des Pieuvres, Birth of the Octopi. It doesn't really, you know, it maybe takes you back to sci-fi. But um, anyways, Water Lilies was your first um, screenplay uh, mm -hmm. that you, you know, ended film school with and your first film. What, what drove you to tell the story of these three female protagonists and synchronized swimming? You know, where does that come from? Well, that's really a personal anecdote. Uh, and um, I went to a synchronized swimming show <laughs> in my town because my friend, my neighbor, I decided to become, I mean, practice uh, synchronized swimming, which is, a, you say, a hobby that you don't encounter every every day. But in my town, I grew up in a in a new town uh, that was built uh, at the beginning of the seventies, and there were there was a, a nice rink. So we had this hockey team, one of the best in France. Uh, there was. Uh, a baseball team. So, you know, a new town brings a new culture. Um, why am I telling you about my town except the fact that I'm fascinated by it? Maybe the swimming pool? <laughs> yeah, the synchronized swimming show. So there was also a synchronized swimming team. And my friend, even though she was uh, 14 years old, decided to, to, to begin synchronized swimming. And so she was very brave. And I went to see a show. And, and she, so she was... It's just a scene in the film, you know. It's just it's just the beginning of the film. It's pretty much um, what I've been through. And I saw then there was like the, the champions team. And uh, they weren't uh, actually <laughs> balleting on Verdi. They were balleting on Cotton Eye Joe. And you're going to have that in your head. And I'm going to sing it. And it's a piano. So it's too bad. This is it. a piano. You don't see it. I will show you. Um... But still, even though it was Cotton Eye Joe, I was, uh, I was troubled. I was troubled. And I, was, uh, I felt I had, I had like missed my life. Said, like, I was like, yeah, I should have, I'm, I'm too moved by this. I should have done synchronized swimming. So I spent like three years, three years, three days, thinking I should have done synchronized swimming. Like, how, why do I feel so lame? Why do I feel like I'm missing something in my life? And it's just that I was so impressed by uh, these girls, uh, I guess, impressed because they were accomplished, impressed because they were a team, impressed because they were this, I mean, carnivalesque uh, femininity. And um, the makeup and the yeah. bodices. Yeah. And I, I, I always, I was, I, was, I was struck by the fact that this, this is a good, this is a good story idea. You know, this is a good, yeah, when you, to understand what's happening to you. Um, but then you take it, you take it, and you take that troubled. Yeah. That trouble, right? That you, um, that you find in the swimming pool and you make it into another sort of trouble, mm -hmm. which is the one of desire. And this mm -hmm. is where we go back to coming of age. Mm -hmm. and, um, and perhaps we could, we could look at a first clip from uh, the end of, uh, or near the end of Water, water Lilies, where that question of 
desire, dreams as well, surfaces again. And, uh, and then we'll talk about that in a second. Well, I think um, we have two elements of your style here. We have two girls in bed mm -hmm. talking. Mm -hmm. We have the first kiss or a kiss. Mm -hmm. And we have dreamers and daydreamers. And they're not kindly treated in your world, at least in this film. Um, it's such a tender moment and um, it's, it's quite representative of the film itself. But why did you... Why did you feel the need to have these two characters say what they say to each other in that setting? I think this, you know, it's, uh, it's always really crazy for me to watch clips of Water Lilies um, because it's my most conscious gesture and that it aged pretty well. Superbly. Uh, um, and I think it aged pretty well because it's... Um, I mean, I see now, you know, when the film was released, uh, the friend character was named Anne, even though she's never named in the film. Um, she's talking about the fact that she slept with this, with this boy. And it's, uh, well, it's, um, she's saying she slept, but, you know, it's, I think now we would look at that scene as a rape. And, um, and you know, when I, think, when I thought about the film, I mean, You know, we are, we, are th we are thinking about rape culture. We are thinking about all this, you know. I, 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 we're all thinking about that. I mean, we're not all, but I mean, we're all in a way, you know, <laughs> uh, fighting on different sides. Um, be, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, I was thinking about that, but how, how can we represent rape? How it has always been represented not as rape and all, you know, all those kinds of questions. I was like, oh, but I did. I did represent it. Not naming it. Not there's another. It. There's another scene in the film where the per, the character played by Adela Nell is, you know, interrupted in her discourse with the main character we've seen in, uh, played by uh, um, uh, Adeline Paca, by her trainer, who says, "Isn't it time for a massage?" Yeah. yeah. Right. And then the door closes, and we don't know what happens there. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, "Oh, this is too much." It's such a crazy well, person with very very dark ideas, yeah. and you know. Uh, it's Adele Nell who told me that himself uh, the other day. She went uh, to do a screening in high school of Water Lilies. Um, and um, that's what I wanted to tell you. There's a scene after the, uh, in, at the end of the film, after that scene, exactly the scene that you're showing, when, you're, when, when the boy uh, goes to see uh, Anne's character and says, I like you. And he actually goes to kiss her. And she spits in, the, in his mouth. And at the time, everybody was in the audience, in the room. I've been, I've been in a lot of rooms with that film. They were screaming, really screaming, doing like, Ugh! or laughing. Or, and now, in that high school where Adele went the other day, they were just clapping, they were just cheering. And um, that's why it aged well. <laughs> it's... Uh, And, um, it's, a good, it's a good measure of change. My most radical film. Uh, and um, 
because I had all this, and I, and if, yeah, because I took very, very seriously what was at stake for these teenagers. So it wasn't that I was politically constructed and I was aware of the power of images. I was just caring a lot, a lot about the three of them. Not one, not the uh, gawky teenager become, discovering she's a lesbian. Uh, and whereas, you know, and, and, and the, the object of all her affection being this, you know, bad and girl, it's, and it's whatever. Not it's, not ugly duckling. Yeah, it's not it's an not, ugly duckling narrative. Yeah. It's called the three of them. Yeah. And, and Florian's character was very troubling for people at the time, saying, like, what does she want? Like, she's the bad straight girl and everything. No, she's the good straight girl. She's just going by the book. And we've all read this book. And, um, and the fact that the film is showing that, but also commenting on that between the characters and that the whole friendship is built around politics in a way, you know, it's built around desire, but it's also built on politics. Absolutely. And, um, and that's, um, that's something that amazes me. That's, that's, you know, we're talking to young talents. Uh, like I didn't know at the time. So follow your guts, <laughs> just follow that intuition. Your intuitions are political. They are political. They are not your intuitions about what you should do as an image. They're not about your personal stories. Your, they're not about, and they're not about the films you love. They're not about that. It, it, you don't lose time. No. Really. They are, your intuitions, I think our intuitions are political. And um, that's why we should follow them. Let's follow them and let's follow what you mentioned in terms of desire. Um, because there's another scene from the same movie which uh, uh, we, can, we can look at and then comment uh, afterwards, but um, I think it's important to look at now. Quand on y pense, le plafond, c'est sûrement le dernier truc qu'il y aura plein de gens. Au moins 90% des gens qui meurent, tu crois pas C'est sûr. Intuitions are political, Céline Sama, but so are little gestures, right Yeah. Desire there, that, that same bed that you know we'll find um, later on in the film, uh, and this very tender but very powerful moment of a caress mm-hmm. between two girls. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's nothing more accurate than a caress, the choreography of a caress. You know, we always feel like storyboarding. You know, you have to storyboard violence a lot. But Garris is about rhythm and accuracy, being precise. It's beautiful. Um, that those fingers touching, that was like something that was so carefully crafted. Yeah. But the disappointment for me in that scene, I must tell you, <laughs> is that, you know, for me, when she says uh, this thing about the scenings, I'm like, I would, for me, she was serious. It was a deep, deep thought, you know? And the first time the film, I mean, it was in Cannes, obviously, or the screens, but it kept going. In every country, people were laughing at that scene. They were laughing at that scene. They were, they were amused, but I was taking it so badly. It was like, why are they laughing at such a deep thought? Because it's true, and it's a thought about death. It's a very teenager thought, but I was, a teen, I was, I was very young. It's, but, a, it's, uh, a, it's a thought about death. No, I know this has also changed. I know that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's less of a, we're less embarrassed by the fact 
that a teenage girl could say something that true, actually. And it's not a... But the film was built in a way, in a way that, yeah, it's, it's, it's comedy also becoming... Because it's somebody trying to look good, so that's always comedy, right? Uh, and then there's the, the truth of the breathing and, and, uh, and this choreography of, of the caress, which is, which is uh, yeah, also a matrix in my work. Yeah. Uh, because I enjoy a lot, a lot doing that. I think yeah. it's, I'm coming to terms and that from, from film to film. How the body talks and what the body says, yeah, not only the eyes, but the body. And I think, um, I think I actually want to see the last clip that we have tonight, um, which is from Portrait, because uh, that horizont horizontality of desire, that, that political intuition, it's also obviously in this very peculiar film, a beautiful film, where you move away from contemporary France, which was the setting for the first three coming-of-age movies, and you plunge us into an unspecified 18th-century-esque France, mm -hmm. but where these questions of desire and um, truth are reinvigorated with the same actress that you shot with so many years ago, Adèle Anel. So maybe we'll look at that last clip and talk about it as well. What is beautiful to you, Celine Sema, it seems to me, is when we understand each other. I think that's perhaps the best encapsulation of what your cinema produces uh, in viewers, is to bring us to that moment where the war ends, mm -hmm. right? I'm a pacifist, I'm a strong pacifist, I'm all about bridges, so I'm glad you said that. As someone, you know, I know that you're a fan of Kubrick and, you know, so is any aspiring filmmaker, right? But there is a particular logic to Kubrick that plays on war, as, as the canon does, right? And I think your force, force tranquille presque, your force is that you show us that truth and understanding are inherently beautiful. Um, that the realization of desire is as beautiful as its failures. And this is a constant in your cinema, like a law um, mm. that governs your work. And I did promise viewers that we would talk about Petite Maman, which is, a, as I said at the beginning, a little gift that operates on another, another level, right? It's less perhaps a question of desire than a question of memory, which is where I chose the, the previous clip. Je me souviens, I remember it. But here memory takes on a mechanic of its own, right? It initiates something in the viewer. Perhaps you'd want to tell us a bit more about what exactly brought you to create that little machine. Well, you know, memory, our memories, they are part of our imaginations in a way. Some of my memories from childhood, for instance, are clearly things that I remember. Uh, 
and some of them are clearly expanded from the photos, from the memories, the official memories of my childhood. So some of them I'm pretty sure I, I can see myself in the frame and some of them I am the character. Um, what if we were building this delicate machine uh, that could make us work on our imagination regarding building our own memories that are as valid as this picture in a way. That birthday picture where, you know, your ankle has this weird face and you, you know, and that's, that's your six years old, you know. What if <laughs> you put somebody else in the picture? What if next to you there's somebody who's dead that you want to have next to you at that moment? This power of a brain that we need so much right now because we're locked in, I mean, that forest, which is in Paris, <laughs> which is fake. So we need, we need those kind of impulse, those triggers for this beautiful machine that we are with our brain and our heart. And uh, what if, yeah, what if we would create a film that would give us the impulse, uh, the tool, the sensation? Uh, you know, it's like doing your first hypnosis, uh, an hypnosis section, session, you know, for instance. Then you can do it. Then you can, it, it changes the way you focus. It changes the way you, you live a room without living it. It's, it's an experience. So Petite Maman might be my most uh, ambitious experience regarding how collaborative the viewer is and regarding how, how much this time, which is always the project, uh, the viewer is the hero of the film rather than the character being the hero of the film. Character is the hero of the plot. Once more, the character, characters don't exist. That's why you can write about them. That's why you can, you can imagine everything or as much as I can imagine what they're going through, what they went through, you know. Um, Could I just, yeah. in, in terms of that ambition, maybe to specify its nature, to mm -hmm. me, up until now, up until Petite Maman, we were in a naturalist, realist framework within a certain tradition of French filmmaking. I think it's not, you know, uh, any, anything polemic to say. But here, when you say your, your ambition um, extends, it does in a very particular manner in that we begin to dream, actually. So all the characters that we've seen, the female characters that we've seen in bed, thinking, talking, telling the truth, but never really dreaming. Mm -hmm. And with Petite Maman, it's, our, it's really you're offering us a dream that becomes very personal. Um, it's a very, very special film, especially now. I think you're absolutely right to say, I know that you started shooting in studio you know, as lockdown was announced in Paris, etc. So it's a film that was in a bubble of its own and that, it's, that is, you know, more or less going to be consumed in that same bubble by yeah. the viewer, right? Yeah. And in that, it does um, elicit questions about, uh, without, you know, without disclosing the conceit of the, of the film, it is a mother-daughter story, but of a very particular kind. Mm -hmm. And it does work like a sort of, you know, a delicate machine, but also a time bomb. It, it, it does um open up flows into our memory it and asks us to 
delve into parts of our memory and parts of our you know relationships with our parents in particular and that um perhaps is something that in terms of the metaphysical aspects in your filmmaking wasn't the case so so where does where did that ambition come from why now why that well the ambition comes from that idea <laughs> i mean uh, i have ambition for ideas i don't have ambition for myself i have ambition for ideas that i have when i'm lucky to have ideas um and i was lucky enough to have that one uh and and so then it unfolded a whole new possibility of cinema and that's why i'm most what i'm always looking for and you succeeded um, um But every film, you know, it's funny because, you know, I've been, I'm being asked a lot of questions about shooting during lockdown and everything. And I keep saying, yeah, every film is a personal lockdown. But <laughs> if you're having this lockdown within a lockdown, then it's not a lockdown. You're connected. I know that we have to bring things to a, to a close, but perhaps that's the best way to do it. In, in that, you know, everyone who's watching us is in lockdown. But thanks to you, I feel we are all kind of connected through a very particular film and your filmography so i would like to thank you personally for the opportunity of talking with you and i'd th like to thank the audience for joining us and uh, you. wish you all a good evening thank you a very special conversation with an immensely passionate filmmaker be sure to catch petite maman when it comes out and dive into water lilies if you haven't already it's a stunning debut feature If you want to hear from other directors, or indeed from a range of engaging filmmakers we've had the chance to talk to over the years, subscribe to our channel and visit our website at berlinale-talents.de. This podcast is brought to you in cooperation with Goethe Institute. It is produced by 4000 Hertz. Our editor is Vincent Forster. Music is by Rutger Reiners. Project coordination, Rabea Bockholt. Project management, Christine Trostrum and Florian Weghorn. And it was presented by me. Anna Serene. Thank you for listening. <laughs>